are, we're finishing a series called Big Faith, and it's really been about, I hope you've enjoyed it, it's really been about this idea of how do we grow in faith, not from the standpoint of necessarily quantity um, or quality, but in the standpoint of our, the object of our faith. Uh, not to try this weird measurement that sometimes churches do in terms of faith, but the object of our faith. How do we grow in our faith in terms of the object of the person uh, that we're called to have faith in? And listen, God can use anything to grow us in our faith. Just, just hear me say that. God can do whatever he wants. He can use anything in your life to help you grow uh, in your faith. But we tend to see some normal practices, if you will, uh, that God just definitely uses to grow people in their faith. I wrote this down several years ago from a book. Um, just about some, some ways in which he does it. Practical faith, which is putting our faith into practice. That's We're going to full circle that today. Uh, private disciplines, our spiritual disciplines, pivotal circumstances that we often, whether it's good or bad, can move us either closer to God or away from God. Uh, personal ministry, which Pastor Mike talked about last week, um, looking at the circles that we live in and helping us understand the, kind of the call to our personal ministry, where we live, learn, work, and play. And today we're going to talk about provisional missions, kind of what's beyond that circle uh, in terms of missions as we do, uh, as we are called to do as followers of Christ. And so we, we want to make sure we remind ourselves of what, what it is exactly that grows when we talk about our faith growing or having big faith. And so we go to the verse that defines it for us in Hebrews 11.1. 1. I'm going to have you read the yellow words out loud with me, okay? Read the yellow words out loud with me as we say this. Hopefully this is something you're putting to memory. Ready? Now, faith is confidence in what we hope for and assurance about what we do not see. Faith is actually apparently measured not by the words we would use like belief or trust, but by the results of, of, of having the right object of our faith, uh, that, that because of what we believe, we would grow in confidence. Because of our trust, we would grow in, in assurance, uh, even when we don't see what's coming around the corner. And growing in confidence is to, is to see more confidence and less anxiety, right? More assurance, less worry and fear. Uh, this is what this is supposed to look like as we grow in our faith. And we talked about it practically from a, from a Christian standpoint. Our faith in action, meaning we put, put it into practice, it intersects with God's faithfulness, and that's when our faith grows, which is why we said, you know, he can use anything he wants to to grow your faith, but it's always going to have some part of you in it. Don't see this as some sort of equation, like you're 50% of the issue and he's 50% of the, no, he's all, it's all him. It's 100% him, but he just uses our activity or our practical faith in terms of taking steps, following what he's called us to do, intersecting with his faithfulness, and that's when we see, tend to see the, the exponential growth in terms of confidence uh, and assurance. Today we're going to talk about missions, provisional missions, which the way we're using that word primarily means meeting needs, okay? Missions in terms of meeting needs. And so it kind of goes hand in hand a little bit with last week when Pastor Mike talked about personal ministry. He talked about being ambushed by opportunities within where we live, learn, work, and play, you know, those circles of family and friends and things like that. And, and, and personal ministry and, and, and missions are both driven by the, the fact that we are gifted to do this work that he's called us to. So uh, in First Peter, he says, God's given you, you each a gift from his great variety of spiritual gifts. So use them well to serve one another, right? That's uh, we say the word around here a lot, to share and serve, to share our faith and to serve others. That's just part of the strategy of our church. Why? Because we feel like we're supposed to engage in the call of following Christ. And so we share and serve. We, we use the gifts that he's given us in our personal ministry, again, in those circles, but we also use them in our, in our provisional missions, meaning when we're trying to meet needs. Now, provisional, the word provisional, again, 
poor use of the word. I know we think of it as limited provision, okay, provisional. We're looking at provisional ministry primarily being provision, that he, we serve a God who provides, and that, and that working through provisional ministry means our missions are driven by the same thing that drove Christ, which was the actions of providing or supplying something or meeting needs, right? We want to, we, 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 you know, well, I don't want to go down that route. I have several rants this morning, so I'm going to hold on, okay, hold the reins. We work through missions with the open door of providing needs. That's what we basically mean by provisional uh, missions. And we see this modeled, again, by Jesus Christ. We see it modeled in his life. We read this verse several weeks ago, uh, but I want to just remind us of this. This is uh, Jesus, uh, again, doing, doing early in his ministry. He returned to the Sea of Galilee, and he climbed on a hill and sat down. Uh, and a vast crowd of people were brought to him. And they were lame and blind and crippled and uh, those who couldn't speak and many others. And they laid them before Jesus, and he healed them all. The crowd was amazed, and those who hadn't been able to speak were talking, and the crippled were made well, and the lame were walking, and the blind could see again. And what was the result? Well, they praised the God of Israel. They praised God for the work. And even though they were, he was meeting physical met needs in their life, they were praising God for the work because it was done through this rabbi, through this, uh, this teacher. And then we have in Matthew later on the Great Commission, which is basically uh, the, the Great Commission is kind of defined as, I'm going to give you the charge to go and make disciples. Go do what I do. Go do what I did. You know, love others the way I loved you, right? Go and make disciples, baptizing them, teaching them everything that I did so that you can do it too. That's what commission means, to do it together, right? We're commissioning together. And then later on in Acts, which is Acts 1, this is Luke's kind of words from that ascension time, um, at the same time that Jesus is kind of giving his final charge, uh, Luke takes it from the last phrase and kind of trucks on in terms of what did this really mean for the early church? Well, it starts off this way. He replied, the Father alone has the authority to set those dates and times. They're not for you to know. So for anybody who wants to know when Jesus is coming back, uh, we don't know. Okay, there's lots of things that point to it. Uh, there's lots of things you can read and, and look for, but this, is, this was really intense for the, per, the disciples because he just was raised from the dead. He'd been walking with them and doing ministry again, and they were like, man, it's all going to happen. And then Jesus said, yeah, but i got to go home first. And they were all like, "Woo! when are you coming back? Right? So I get that, right? It was pretty intense. It was like, we need to know, Jesus, could you give us just a, just a general time frame, longer than a month, you know, longer than a, than a crow's season? I don't know. I'm using examples. But... What, can you give us anything? He said, nope, God's in charge of that, and, and I'm not going to give it to him. Oh, okay, great. But here's where Jesus said, again, you've been given this great commission. He says, but you're going to receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. Like, don't worry about the fact that I'm going. He says this several times. You're going to be my, what's the word? Say it out loud. Yeah. As followers and disciples, that's another great word. You are the witnesses to the work that I've done. You are the witnesses to the way in which I modeled this commission I'm giving you, this commissioning I'm giving you, telling people about me everywhere. And you're going to do it where? In Jerusalem, throughout Judea, in Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. This is Luke basically <laughs> helping us remember that, yes, he, he talked about personal ministry because if you're going to do it in Jerusalem, that's your personal ministry, that's your bubble, that's your, where you sit, but you're also going to do it in Judea, and you're going to do it in Samaria, and you're going to do it to the ends of the earth. You're going to do it to the expense or the expansion, if you will, outside your own bubble and personal bubble of comfort in your little home area and in the circle of influence you have, you're going to be called to this mission. That's what the commissioning is. 
So very quickly, because I don't know how you were taught about missions or what your church growing up did. Like my church had mission weeks and people came in with the, with the uh, slide thing and you guys know what I'm talking about and and there's a, another children starving and another child starving and another you know and, and, and then they asked for a check and so that's that's what I grew up with and that's not bad it's just that's what I kind of saw I never went on a short-term mission experience or mission trip until I came to journey like I just that wasn't a part of the churches and the cultures that I grew up in so again I don't know what your experience has been but let me just start us off on the same path okay it wasn't the church's job to come up with missions programs. Like, that's not really what the church was supposed to do. From the beginning, from, from Acts, from what we see in the church, they just took the commissioning that Jesus gave us, and that was their missions. Go and do what I did, and do it here, there, and everywhere. So God has a mission, but, but he has a church to fulfill it. Right? Like, we didn't have to come up with anything new and fancy. He's got the mission. He's, and we know what it is. And he says, and I've got a church now. That's what I'm launching in this acts of the church. I'm launching the church that's going to fulfill my mission here, there, and everywhere. Right? And, and, and we, listen, I say we meaning just the big Western kind of movement of the church and religion. We just tend to complicate this. Right? We just tend to complicate missions. It, it, it's, if, for whatever reason, like missions gets complicated when it's local and global and social justice and other issues that can sometimes get politically charged. And uh, we just complicate it, right? And, and, that, and listen, this is what part of Scripture does. Scripture is always there to help us simplify and remember. You know, Micah 6 8, Micah 6 8 says, You already know what to do, God already told you what to do, right? Uh, do justly, love mercy, and walk humbly with your God. I could do a whole sermon just on that because we suck at all of those things, right? Like, it's horrible. Do justly? We don't do that. Love mercy? We don't. Who loves mercy? Do you love when people don't get what they deserve? No. That's against our human nature. Our human nature loves when people get what they deserve. And he says, no, I want you to love mercy. And I want you to walk humbly with God. He says, look, it's not complicated. It doesn't mean it's easy, but it's not complicated. And the same thing goes with our faith in terms of what is, what is he calling us to? Why is missions kind of outside of this circle of personal ministry when we're meeting needs sort of beyond our bubble here, there, and everywhere? What does it mean to our faith? Well, James, the brother of Jesus, gives a, again, really practical, simple way of helping us see what this means and how it ties to our faith, our belief, our trust, and now we can grow in confidence and assurance. So here's what, here's what um, James, the brother of Jesus, says. He says, what good is it, dear brothers and sisters, if you say you have faith, right? You're, you're saying you're, you're believing the right thing, but you don't show it by your actions. Can that faith save anyone? And just don't, we don't save people. What he means by that, and if you look at the broader understanding of that, can that faith lead people? Can that faith help people work out their salvation is what he's saying. Can that faith really be something that people can see and work through in terms of following God? And the answer was no. Suppose you see a brother or sister who has no food or clothing. No food, no clothing. But you say to them, goodbye, have a good day, stay warm and eat well. Well, you look like an idiot, number one, right? But it says, but, but then you don't actually give that person any food or clothing. What good 
does that do? He's really just tying the practical, again, provisional side of, of, of ministry. Like, you can't say, hope you have a great day when they're having a horrible day and you did nothing to change their day, right? What does that even mean? So then he says it this way. Faith by itself isn't enough unless it produces good deeds. And again, James is always picked on by being very practical, but James is like, look, the, what you say you believe, what, you, what you're putting your trust in, your faith should be practical. Going back to week one, right? You're, if you have a faith and you're a follower of Christ, it should produce in you this stuff. Like it should, it should be as natural as breathing to meet those needs, to do what you've been called to do. If not, it's dead and useless, which is kind of offensive to us. Now, that's not enough because he says, well, some may argue, because that's what churches love to do, is argue, right? Well, some people have faith, and others have good deeds. That was just their way of kind of dividing it up. Well, some of us are better thinkers and pontificators and philosophizers, and I made that up. And some of us are just better at kind of guarding the truth, and then we have some worker bees that actually do the, do the stuff. And, and James sees this in the religious nature, he says, look, some of you are going to argue this, but how can you show me your faith if you don't have any action, any good deeds? I'll show you my faith by what I do, by my action, by my deeds. You say you have faith for you believe there's one God. Good for you. Even the demons believe this and they tremble in terror. Now, I'll be honest, this was offensive. James was truly saying it to offend, you know? Oh, you believe there's one God. Goody for you. You're on par with the demons. Okay? You and the demons are right in sync. You want a cookie? You don't get one. Right? Why? Because he's going to hit that back again. What is good is this? What is it? He says foolishness is what it is. Can't you see that your faith without good deeds is useless? Now, again, we're not going to argue about works and things like that. You know, we, we don't do that here, but... This is the way James is kind of tying it to our faith. Don't you understand that part of what we do in terms of living out in the model of Jesus, in terms of even meeting needs and doing this missional work, don't you understand how that should just be produced in you? Like that's, this, this is not something we do for God. It's something we do because of who God is to us. That's why we do it. But again, this has gotten a little muddy and not just within churches, but if you think about the last several centuries, it went from the, you know, kind of the, 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 the skewed version of how the Catholic Church did it with alms and, you know, penances and things like that in terms of trying to help the poor and, you know, what governments and tyrannical governments did. And then you get into more Western mindsets and civilizations. And really, it's only been in the last century or just a little bit more than a century that government assistance programs have sort of kind of come up and started doing what the church had been doing for centuries. So the, you know, government assistance in terms of helping keep lights on and helping through the depression and those kind of things. I mean, there's a lot of things that, that sort of happen that in just a, less than a hundred years, we've grown really accustomed to nonprofits and governments around the world sort of doing that job. Is that fair to say? We just become very accustomed to it. Again, I'm not, I'm not saying that them meeting needs is wrong. Like, great, you know, the people are hungry, feed them. 
But I, but I want you to see just what we mean in terms of, 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 of provisional missions. What is it we're, what, what, what's the target on the wall for us? Okay, here's how I say it. Earthly temporary healing and needs can be provided by anybody, okay? I mean, they, they can be, trust me. People, people with millions, and they can meet needs. We have enough money in this freaking world to solve the hunger problem and the water problem and if people would just let it go. Does that make sense? Like, we, we have it. It's not like we don't have it. We could solve all those. We could meet all those needs. And it could be done by anybody, you know, doctors without borders and, you know, Dentists go over and fix cleft palates and orthodontists and people do things. I got a niece going on a mission trip with, you know, with just doctors and they're going to go do some stuff in Kenya and it's really cool. And I'm, I'm thankful for those things like that, but they can be met by anybody, right? That's, that's true. Spiritual, think eternal, healing and needs, not only can they not be met by anybody, but they can't be forced, just like last, like they have to be received from Jesus. They have to be received. They have to take hold of it, right? And here's what's amazing. The church, again, God has a mission and he has a church to fulfill it. The church is uniquely gifted and, and basically created to do both of those things. Did you know that? The church, his church, was uniquely positioned and created to be able to, yes, use their talents, use their gifts, their expertise, their resources to meet actual, physical, earthly, temporary needs, but at the same time, because they just exist together, present absolute hope of Jesus. We can't force it on them, but they have the opportunity to receive it, right? Like, the, it's just, that's just who we are. Our, we have a team that just came back from uh, Appalachian Service Project up in the mountains. You know, they're, what were they doing? They were putting siding on some people's homes. And it's like, okay, well, that, that program does a lot of things for a lot of people, but there's a lot of things in that program that sort of vets people out and helps us understand who we're serving and what the need is. And, it's, and the Christians that are running this program and the Christians that we send are bringing the gospel with them to do the work they're doing. They're not doing it just because they're good with a hammer. I've been on those trips. Not everybody's good with a hammer. Am I right, Jason? We're not all good, right? Jason shut the power down in the whole place one time. You hammer in the wrong spot. Okay? Why do we do what we do? We make sure they understand. We do what we do because Jesus told us to. Because we're here for you because of who Jesus is for us. It's just, it's, again, it's, it's supposed to be, as James said, this natural thing that just gets produced in us. We have a book that we recommend to all of our travelers and depending on where you go, especially for global missions, we, we have a book we love called When Helping Hurts. It's a little bit more of a strategy and ideology around missions that we believe. We, we don't want to just be a big wave of, you know, the big American savior coming in to solve a problem. We want to support local business and local economy and local efforts, especially the nonprofits in the area. We want to support them. We want to give them resources and help uplift them so they can continue and sustain things uh, where they are. But uh, Steve Cobert, he's the author of this book, um, 
I just love this because this, when we get a little bit, churches have sometimes got a little bit too focused on taking God to these places. Like, well, we're, we're not just going to meet needs. Matter of fact, we can't meet very many needs because our church doesn't have very much. Uh, but we want to make sure we go over there and do a VBS or, you know, do some of these things and make sure that, you know, we preach the gospel and we have to make sure that's happening. I, I understand they came to the tent and they were hungry, but you made sure, you know, you didn't bring any food because you didn't have any money, but you brought, you know, the felt board. This is, this is missions I grew up with, right? But here's what we have to remember, and this is, this is why I love this book. He says, look, we are not bringing Christ to poor communities. He has been active in these communities since the creation of the world, sustaining them. Hebrews 1 tells us by the power of his word. Okay? He is already at work in these countries, in these communities, in these, in these poverty-stricken areas. Hence, a significant part of working in poor communities involves discovering and appreciating what God's been doing for a very long time. Like, it's, it's one of those things that doesn't just, it has to help us have the right perspective. I call it a God perspective. Um, the first, my first mission trip experience um, just, just shifted for me a lot of the things in which I, how I see God and how I see his church and how we see the kingdom. It made a huge shift for me. And it's not because God changed, it's because I went to a different position in my life to be able to see things differently, to have a different God perspective. And I'm telling you, again, I, I love National Geographic and books and that VR thing where you can walk down the street in Italy and, you know what I'm saying? Like, I love all that stuff. It's just not the same. It's not the same like being there and doing it and getting out of your comfort zone and, and serving the least of these because it changes how you see things. Now, we have to make sure we approach this, you know, I don't want to say the right way, but there is a warning that I want to give, especially when it comes to modern views of missions and things. You have, to, you have to kind of be careful of the us versus them, or not really just us and them mentality. That because first world this, and blessing of Lake Norman that, and our problems don't look exactly the same, even though they're the same root of the problem is the same, they don't look exactly the same. So it can sometimes feel a little us and them. And again, if you get pretty politically charged it can get charged with like again you know well are they addicted are they are we just enabling stuff are we doing this are we are we actually solving a problem and if we can't solve the whole problem then why would we help at all and I mean refugees deal with this all the time right I can't solve the problem in your country so we're not going to help at all like it's it's just dumb right and then we find scripture we find scripture that says well if you don't work you can't eat and if you I shouldn't do this it's so weird we find scripture to, t to try to convince us not to do what the scripture called us to do it's weird. Only, only Christians in America do that, okay? It's a rant. I'm sorry. That's, that's, you got that for free. All right, so I don't understand that. But it's happening. And again, it just kind of requires us to be very careful about this us versus them or us and them mentality. This is what we see this in Jesus' life. We, not from him himself, even though we're going to look at a pretty cool encounter. We see this. This is the culture that even Jesus was born into especially with Jews and Samaritans and Jews and Gentiles and tax collectors and sinners and all kinds of things. This is a great example, where, especially for his disciples. This is in Matthew 15. Jesus left Galilee and went north to this region of Tyre and Sidon. This is a, a north Israel where a lot of Gentiles would have been living. It says, a Gentile woman who lived there came to him and said, pleading, oh, have mercy on me, O Lord, son of David, my daughter is possessed by a demon that torments her severely. But Jesus gave her no reply, not even a word. And then his disciples urged him to send her away. Jesus, tell her to go away, they said. 
She's bothering us with her begging. Now Jesus said to the woman, well, I am sent only to help God's lost sheep, the people of Israel. Now just, I know you might have some questions in a minute, but just hold on till we get through it. She came and worshiped him again, pleading again, Lord, help me. Then Jesus responded, it isn't right to take food from the children and throw it to the dogs. Wow. But she replied, that's true, Lord. But even dogs are allowed to eat the scraps that fall beneath the master's table. And then Jesus says, just read those four words. Jesus said to her, that's Jesus' response. Wow, your faith is great. What big faith you have. Your request is granted. And the daughter was healed instantly. Matter of fact, Mark's, uh, Mark's gospel says she went home and just found her daughter, you know, sitting uh, crisscross applesauce, just minding her own business. Right? Like that's, that, that wasn't in the Bible. That's my paraphrase, by the way. So, but that's, that's what happened. Like it was, he didn't even need to be there and the healing happened. And this is one of those things where you look at it and say, okay, I mean, again, if you never read this before, it's weird. It's a weird encounter. Jesus seems to respond in a very non-Jesus-like way, calling her a dog. She, that's not really the term. The term is actually a word that they would have culturally used to refer to Gentiles, okay? So I'm not saying it was good. It was just, it was a very Jewish us versus them kind of thing. And Jesus, just for the moment, because he's testing her, kind of plays into it. You know, like, like, are you really here because you want me, or are you here because you want a Jewish benefit? Does that make sense? Because, listen, there's a lot of people that show up for the church benefit, but they don't really want Jesus. So this is just a test for her. And she takes, she takes even that degrading term for the Gentiles and shows Jesus what her heart really does, which is, you know what, I'll take the scraps if that's what you want to view it as, because I know that the scraps are still good that come from the master's table. Like, she, she made it very clear, I'm after you, Jesus. And he was like, wow, what big faith. Your daughter's healed. It's amazing. And so, again, we have to be very careful sometimes. We don't look at people's addiction and their third world problems and their things that look so different than us. And we sort of start getting very pious about where we sit and how we see things because it does develop an us versus them. Do they really, you know, we start pre-qualifying people as to whether they deserve for their needs to be met. This is another a quote from the, uh, Stephen's book. Until we embrace our mutual brokenness, again, our understanding of sin, our, our work with low-income people is likely to do more harm than good. Right? It's, it goes on to say, sometimes, this is us intentionally, we reduce poor people to objects that I can use to fulfill my own need to accomplish something. And he goes on in, in a different passage. He says, no, I'm not okay. You're not okay. We both need Jesus. Jesus is, Jesus is the answer and the solution, right? I know it's different because, look, we can't, again, because Jesus can't be forced, because, because that eternal, you know, meeting that bigger need, as Tracy was reading this morning, he met the physical need. He was talking about the physical need of water, but he said, look, there's an eternal need that you have no idea that I can fill for you. And then he goes, <laughs> he goes on to say, you know, yeah, that's, that's what this looks like, but look, we can't. We can't make our missional decisions, this us versus them, or us and them. It can sometimes lead into like a business-like thing, like we only do missions when the return on investment is high, you know? 
Like, that's, that's not really all that good either. Matter of fact, that's the one we're going to read uh, together in just a minute. This is Luke 17. If you want to turn there in your Bible app, I'm reading from the New Living Translation. But this is, this is another example that we see where Jesus really doesn't pre-qualify or withhold healing, even though he only talks about one person's faith. This is in verse uh, 11. Uh, chapter 17. As Jesus continued on towards Jerusalem, he reached the border between Galilee and Samaria, and as he entered a village there, ten men with leprosy stood at a distance crying out, Jesus, Master, have mercy on us. And he looked at them and said, go show yourselves to the priests. And it says, as they went, they were cleansed of their lesbians. The, uh, the commentators basically say as they were walking, they were li- literally seeing, as they walked and got closer to the priest, they were literally seeing the disease And be free from the disease. And and it says, one of them, when he saw that he was healed, came back to Jesus shouting, praise God. And he fell down to the ground at Jesus' feet, thanking him for all he had done. This man was Samaritan. Jesus asked, didn't I heal ten men? The ROI on this is not good. Is that making sense? He said, "Didn't, didn't I heal ten? Where are the other nine? Has no one returned to give God glory except this foreigner? And Jesus said to him again, stand up and go. Your faith has healed you. Man, he says that so many times. Like, I wish I could get just a good count, you know, in the Gospels where Jesus is constantly referring to, again, the intersection of people's active faith, taking a step, doing something, and then Jesus' faithfulness actually doing what it is that only Jesus can do. Doing what only God can do. Only one returns out of the ten to say thank you. To to acknowledge that it's Jesus. And it's not even the Jewish people. It was the Samaritan. So again, we we have to be careful of that. And I I just say that as more of of a warning, especially in our modern version of social justice and missions, local and global. It it gets a little hairy. We just gotta remember the way Jesus did it and what he kind of gives us and leads by example by modeling. We have three phrases we use, if you've been around Journey for a while, as we talk about our missional efforts in terms of what's outside that in, uh, personal ministry bubble. And that is to invest intentionally, to give generously, and to love lavishly. That we invest intentionally, we do use wisdom in the people that we partner with and why, and what it is that they're doing and the strategy that they have. We do use wisdom in that. We also want to make sure that as we give generously, because, I mean, inflation is everywhere. It costs us twice as much to go to some of these places as it used to cost. Like, it costs even more to get there. It costs even more to meet needs, and that's fine. We will give generously and continue to give generously and love lavishly, meaning we're not going to pre-qualify them as to what they uh, get and don't get with their addictions and their problems and their struggles because we're there to love them. We're there to show them who God is through how we love them. Now, I'm going to give you two words that I want you to remember today. And these two words are practical and personal. Practical because I want to just share with you some practical ways that we as a church give you opportunity to engage outside that personal ministry bubble in terms of mission. But then personal, I I, kind of want you just for a minute, if you will today, I want you to take it personally. Meaning that I know I'm talking to the church, and, I, and it's easy for me to talk like to the church, you know, but, 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 and, and read scripture and say things to the church, and you're like, oh, it's for the church. But I want you to take it personally, and I know this is for you. 
I know I'm parking at, pointing at Mark here, but yeah, this is for you. I want you to take it personally, okay? Take it personally, because we're going to find out that Jesus takes it personally. Practical looks like this. Here's some of our global partners. Um, we do, uh, matter of fact, we just had a, um, again, team come from ASP. Um, we have a, we had an interest meeting for uh, our group that's going to Kenya next year for Kogoris, with the Kogoris project. And um, again, we, we are very intentional about our partnerships. Even when you think about the big, big goals, like what are they doing over there? What do they want to do? What do they want to see? I mean, you know, Kilgoris has grown for has grown a lot over the last several years, and they're you know they got big goals. You know they're a part of the 2030. Let's cure, cure hunger and let's do this. Are we going to do that? I have no idea. Again, I think the world could do it if we really just let up the resources we could. But here's what I know about Kilgoris and why we partner with the Kilgoris Project in Kenya is because since its inception, they start with a local pastor in a community in a tribe in the western part of Kenya, the Maasai tribe, they start with a local pastor who's usually meeting under a tree or meeting with a group of people and sharing the gospel. Once the community gets kind of involved in understanding the benefit of what this would look like for their church to have this church community, they also start a school. And they usually go hand in hand, the school and the church. And then what's beautiful about that is by the time the community really gets involved and the community wants to, to see this actually happen, the first building that's ever built most of the time is the church that can also be used for the school to actually continue to teach not just education. Because look, Kenya can build schools. Like the government of Kenya, nonprofits can build schools, right? But through the Kogoris Project, we have pastors you know, shepherding schools and shepherding the health uh, uh, education for families so that families really, they change the trajectory of their future. And again, we've gone from, hundred, you know, dozens of kids to hundreds of kids to what, 1,700 plus now? Almost 2,000 kids, right, in these schools. I'm just telling you that the reason our investment has been so intentional there is, is in partnership with the fact that it is, it, it is an inseparable picture of what the gospel does through the Winds of Grace pastors and what the organization itself is doing through Kilgore's project in Kenya. And we love to be a part of it. Same thing's true. We went to children, uh, we went to Honduras this year uh, with Children's Impact Network. And again, it's, it's, it, there's a specific need that we're able to help walk into. I mean, in, in, Hondura, in Honduras, um, about 40 plus percent of kids don't live with any family members because of migration issues and immigration issues and going to find work and things like that, which means that about a little more than 80% of them will never finish an elementary school grade because of money and food and poverty, because over almost 70% of the entire country lives below their poverty line. Not our poverty line, their poverty line. And so, you know, we work with an orphanage, Children's Impact Network, you know, it didn't start in Bolivia or Chile or Honduras where they're at. It started in Miami with a couple of people who wanted to share the love of Jesus with children, abandoned children. And it has grown from there. So now we work with the Hovde uh, Orphanage, and there's about 30 kids. They, they want to be able to hold up to about 60 and take these abandoned, you know, forgotten, broken children and give them a safe place, meet the need, and share the gospel. The same thing happens in Peru. We have... Uh, girls that are abused, girls and boys who are trafficked and they're sexually abused, and we have a particular shelter there that we work with that gives them a safe haven 
And then we have Pazia Speranza, that's the primary uh, partnership, and they, we know they're going to get justice because we, we know they have legal representation, so we help understanding that justice is needed for these children who are victims. But then they also have psychological services and pastors that work with them because they want to be able to help bring healing to these abused children so that they can live their rest of their life and not kind of repeat the cycle and repeat the abuse. And listen, all all this to say, you don't have to go across the world to experience some of these things, but this is why we invest in these places. We're going to be doing more with Haiti and DR. There's a lot of stuff going on in Haiti that we can't get in, but we're going to be doing some more with them. And then we work with the Haitian refugees and services with, through the DR as just, the, again, the, the refugees have come from Haiti in droves and are now really causing a problem for the DR country. And so we, we get what that's like, but we're still trying to find ways to serve them and help bring the gospel to them and help them survive in a country that doesn't want them. Now, locally, we have missional opportunities. Care pack, uh, we just, you guys took all the care packs last week, so thank you for doing that. We had to get more, and now we need to pack more. So we have a care pack party happening. Uh, care pack party. I'll say that several times. Okay, care pack party happening uh, in a couple weeks, November 12th, uh, just after church. You can help us pack some more bags. We're, we have a service coming up, uh, community service. Give thanks like Norman is a bunch of, ch- about 10 churches getting together, including us. We're going to be doing a service at the Kane Center in Cornelius. Uh, for that night, kind of an evening Thanksgiving service, and we're going to pass care packs out there and share care packs with uh, our community. Um, so we need to pack up some bags for them. But we've been working even through food assistance. That's part of what Bags of Hope, and we have people right now, our, the gathering is gathering food for Bags of Hope, for, for their uh, uh, Thanksgiving and Christmas food drive. And we have Watchmen of the Street, which again goes and serves those who are living in tent villages. We have uh, we had three big needs come through alongside families through the care portal. So if you're not volunteering with them, I know you've got to go through a little bit of a process, but if you start volunteering with them, even just the care portal itself, you can meet some incredible needs right now through the church and through your efforts for what they have going on. Ada Jenkins is celebrating 25 years. Caterpillar, we have stuff going on all the time. Mike's creating kind of a community service team so that he has a kind of, we have needs that just show up that aren't part of organiza- organizations, but they're vetted through our people. And we have needs that show up, and so sometimes he just needs to be able to shoot out a thing and say, we're showing up at this person's house to do something. And so he's creating a little team to help make that happen. So there are local opportunities as well. Again, why is it considered missional versus personal ministry? Because I know it's outside your space. It's going to be strangers. It's going to be people you don't know. It's going to be people outside your comfort zone, possibly. You might be doing things that you had never thought you were going to do before, or even don't even enjoy doing, but you're going to do it because you show the love of Christ by doing it. These are local and global opportunities, and they're practical steps that you can take. The two phrases that really kind of sideline us from the way in which God wants to grow us through missions is one day and I might. Right? One day I won't be as busy. One day, you know, I'll have a little bit more financial security. One day my kids won't need me as much. One day I want to get, oh, you don't know what 2024 looks like for me, man. Woo! One day, but one day, one day, you know, I might be able to do this. I might be able to take a couple of day out, days off. I might be able to, yeah, I'm gonna, I might call Laura, get some of that information about to Kenya. I might do this. It just sidelines me. And this is the reason that I, I really say I want you to take it personally. Because this is a personal call. Even though we're co-missioning together, it's a personal 
call. And this is the way Jesus describes it, especially when he's, he's talking about the judgment. He's talking about the, at the end of it all. Okay? And we don't know when the end of it all for is for us. But, but at the end of it all, here's what it will look like. This is Jesus' words. He says, when the Son of Man comes in his glory and all the angels with him, he will sit upon his glorious throne. And the nations will be gathered in his presence, and then he will separate the people as shepherds, you know, separate sheep from goats. And he will place the sheep at the right hand and the goats at his left, and then the king is going to say to them, come, those who are blessed by my father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you for the cre- from the creation of the world. For I was hungry, and you fed me. I was thirsty, and you gave me a drink. I was a stranger, and you invited me into your home. I was naked and you gave me clothing. I was sick and you cared for me. I was in prison and you visited me. The righteous ones will then reply, Lord, when did we ever see you hungry and feed you or thirsty and give you something to drink? Or or a stranger or show you hospitality or naked and give you clothing? When did we ever see you sick or in prison and visit you? But the king will say, I tell you the truth, when you did it, To the least of these, my brothers and sisters, you were doing it to me. And then he's going to look at those on his left and say, away with you, you cursed ones. The eternal fire prepared for the devil and his demons. For I was hungry and you didn't feed me. I was thirsty and you didn't give me a drink. I was a stranger and you didn't invite me into your home. I was naked and you didn't give me clothing. I was sick and in prison and you didn't visit me. Then they will reply, well, Lord, when did we ever see you hungry and, or thirsty or a stranger or naked or sick or in prison and not help you? When did this happen? And he will answer, I tell you the truth, when you refused to help the least of these, my brothers and sisters, you were refusing to help me. And they will go away into eternal punishment, but the righteous will go into an eternal life. Now, because I'm closing with this, I want to make sure you hear me. Okay, this is not some. This is not a verse that you can you, that you should use as some sort of ammo for guilt or shame. That the next time you don't give somebody something to drink and you die, you're going straight to hell. Okay, let me just. I have to say these things sometimes just so that we're clear. This is Jesus painting a picture that if you are a follower of Christ, it's going to result in personal ministry and missions where you meet needs because it's natural as a follower to do so. But there will be those who don't. Their life is filled with selfishness and self-drive and their empire and their busy schedule and what they're doing and what's next for them and their family. And if they show up at the end of days... Jesus will separate. It doesn't matter how much you knew or didn't know or the benefits of Christianity that you got to be a part of. This is the earlier verses when he says in Matthew, I never knew you. Okay, this is, this is why he's saying, this is, this is when the judgment happens, there's going to be something that's either naturally coming from you or not. And that's going to be because of what God has done in you and because of what you have done what you have done to the least of these and for the least of these. 
Now, I don't say anything too heavy-handed around here. That's just my nature as a pastor. I don't, I, don't, I, don't get, I don't get the big hammer out every once in a while. But this is a phrase that I have written down for myself as a good reminder that we need to remember. Okay, Almost doing something is the same as doing nothing. Okay, We would really love God to just judge our intentions. But he won't. He will judge our actives and our actions and our motives for our actions. Almost the one days and the I mites aren't going to amount to anything. Okay, so just just hear me. This is why I'm saying, take it personally because he takes it personally. You know, I know they're strangers. I know it's outside. I mean, yes, we're called to personal ministry. But the reason you're called to the person you don't know in the city you've never been to and the area that's outside your comfort zone is because he's called us to do it by, his, by the gospel and the commissioning of Christ. We are called to go to the ends of the earth, period. Here, there, and everywhere. Almost doing something is the same as doing nothing. So what are you doing with these things? I don't know what in this series maybe has been primary for you or more important but surely there's got to be an area in which God is doing a work in you that 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 you can take some steps and put your faith into practice and I promise you you're going to see God you're going to see it intersect with God's faithfulness and something is going to grow in you faith is going to grow in you even this, as Pastor Mike shared last week, even those incremental growth, the incremental stages are growth for your faith and more confidence, more assurance in what you believe and who you trust. So I just want to share this as I close. If you want to take a practical step, just see us, email us, talk to us. There's more than enough opportunity for our church. I mean, we will continue to grow in, in the expanse of what we do mission-wise and local and global based on the steps you guys take. That's what we'll do. That's what we'll continue to do as a church. And I'm so thankful that it does continue to grow. So I'm just praying for you guys. This is my closing prayer, is that you are going to do something in those five areas to put your faith into practice and watch God do something, continue to grow your faith. Let's pray together. Father God, thank you so much for your word. And I just pray, God, that just today especially, that if anything, you know, I said anything that's just dumb or heretical or anything like that, God, oh, please forgive me and let it just pass from our ears and, you know, we can't remember it at all. But God, I do pray that your word is enough through your Holy Spirit to tell us exactly what you want us to do. That right now, your spirit, through the prompting of your spirit, is just nudging in us and moving in us where you want us to take steps in our faith and to make it practical and personal. God, just as much as sometimes it challenges me that you take that personally, I'm also really grateful that that the way I can minister to you and for you is by ministering to the least of these, knowing that every single thing that I do for others isn't wasted. Even if they say thank you, even if it's different, you know, politically charged, it doesn't matter, God, we're doing it for you, and it's produced because of who you are to us. Thank you, Jesus, for that. And I pray all this in your name. Amen.